So last week, I really enjoyed <clears throat> Gary's preach on hope. Don't you think it's something that we all need to hear? I feel like the sound is very echoey. Anyway. Okay. Hope restored. How on earth do we restore hope in a world that literally feels like it's gone mad? How many people have said to me, made the comment that they feel like the world has gone mad? Who feels like that? Yeah. You kind of feel like our normal has been adjusted and we don't quite know where, what is normal and what's not. I see my font has changed. <laughs> the designer in me is like, oh, no. <laughs> Damn. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just adjusting. <laughs> Paul will understand. And so will Sean. <laughs> okay, guys. Good morning to everyone out there in the... In your homes, always are slightly jealous that you get to sit at home and watch. But then you, you're jealous of us because we get to be together. <clears throat> we miss normal. We miss church. And um, so today I'm talking about hope and our doubting. And um, it's quite an interesting topic. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of scared to press the thing to see what's going to happen with my slides. I was so proud of them. Now it's not working. I thought I did. Okay, I hope no, it's not working. Sorry, I'm seeing all the adjustments. It's okay, guys, don't worry. It's fine. No, it's not. I know, it's fine. All right, okay. So the question that I was asking myself and asking of God this week was, is it okay, or rather, when is it okay to doubt, and when is it okay not to doubt? So, for the sake of time, what I did was I looked at my favorite friends, the um, Israelites in... Okay, this is not working. See, you can't have like a set thing that works in your head and then it doesn't. It kind of messes with your hope, right? All right, so the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt, we're going to use as a backdrop. All right, so, and for the sake of time, I have chosen to give like a very brief summary of what I believe is, sorry, what's wrong? Okay, but I need it. Uh, don't just ignore me. Thank you. Okay. All right. Okay. So the the dear old the Israelites they give me hope. Why? Because they mess up all the time. These guys are amazing, but in like a really bad way. <clears throat> they kind of make us feel very human, don't they? So here's how the story goes. This is very briefly condensed. I kind of have the that Aussie guy who, narr who narrates, uh, look, his language is shocking, but he's so funny. And I kind of have this voice in my head. 
So the Israelites, they get to leave Egypt through miraculous, cinematic events. And um, taking along with them all their cattle, all their cows, all their food, and then along with some Egyptian stuff as well. Um, It even says unleavened bread. Uh, Pharaoh says, damn, uh uh-oh, I've made a mistake. Bring them back. What have I done? So then he sends out his army to to chase them down. God directs them in a way that actually makes them catch up with the enemy. He also directs them away, not the shortest route, but actually the longest. So what's going on? So now enemy catches up with them. They're stuck. Flip. Now what? No way forward. Enemies behind them. Flip. They cry out to God. And actually what they cry out to God in a way that the Bible says is actually appropriate and kind of a, res- a good response for the timing and for what's happening around them. It does show a lack of faith and does show a lack of understanding of God, but he's okay with that. Not a problem. God, through Moses, creates another way through the Red Sea. Boom, officially they are free, no longer slaves. They even write a song about it. Come on. Three days later. Aren't we fickle? Been traveling through the wilderness of Shur, which means limitations. Nothing like a desert to bring out the beliefs enough in us. Set up camp, things literally turn bitter. The water they have on hand is undrinkable. Now what? They get mad at God. They cry out to Moses. They whine a bit. They murmur. Um, They question now his abilities and his motives towards him. They kind of imply that they have a little little less confidence in God. Shocking, I know. Um, Once again, God makes a way. He, through Moses, turns the bitter into sweet. And actually it turns out that God was the one testing them. They set up camp in a place called Elm. Huge oasis. 70, what, 12 springs, 70 palm springs. It's like an oasis in the desert. Literally, it was, actually. They should have written a song about that, but they didn't. They leave Elm, and they cross over another desert. This one's called Sin. This should be fun. Okay, so now, remember, the entire time their journey was a destination called Mount Sinai. So, what happens? Now, things get pretty dramatic. What happens? They would rather go back to Egypt. Now they start thinking about all the food they had there. Okay, they do happen to forget about the fact that they have got cattle and sheep with them. But now they bleat. They bleat. They have no food. What is God going to do? It's okay. God comes through. Again, now he sends literally Uber Eats. (laughs) Think about it. In the evening, they get their meat, quail. In the morning, they get their manna. Daily Twice a day, Uber Eats. Wow, they should have also written a song about that, but they didn't. A month and a half into their journey, they reach another place. This place is called Doubt. I'm not even going to pronounce it, but it means doubt. Trust me. Okay, so here's a clue in terms of what's going to happen. Again, no water. You would think they would learn their lesson, but they don't. God's provided water before, but now they believe. They were so mad at Moses, this time they don't even bring God into the equation, they actually want to bring a lawsuit against him. They want to sue the guy. You have and accuse him 
of now he's, he's brought us into the desert to kill us. Aren't these guys grateful? Talk about entitlement. <laughs> so, they are now more uncertain about God because they ask the question, is God with us or not? They believe actually he's not. Let's not mention the fact that they have a pillar of fire by night. They have a cloud by day and they're still having their daily Uber Eats delivery. And yet they still question whether God is there or not. Yo. It seems like they have forgotten. A month and a half into their journey of miraculous, powerful events that come out of nowhere and yet they forget. But don't worry, God's amazing. This time he does get a little mad with them. He calls this place the place of complaining and a place of testing. Definitely no song was written about this. But this time, they put God to the test. Don't you love that story? I do. Why? Because it gives me hope. (laughs) That even though I mess up, and even though I may not always focus on God, and always forget, God still comes through. But let's look at hope. So I'm going to first look at what biblical hope isn't. Because it's always good to know what it is and what it isn't. Okay, I'm taking a deep breath to see what this is going to look like. Grant, you said it was going to work. It's like me in the mornings without coffee. All right, hope is not. So this is, again, a non-biblical view of hope. Okay, it's not optimism. Don't you find that optimism can be based on personality? People go, don't worry, it'll be fine. You know those people that see the glass half full kind of guys? Yeah, Bruce is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Optimism sometimes is based on like a little bit of like, oh, I don't want to see the problem, so everything's going to be fine. Okay. And everyone has a different like lens of how we view life. So how the events are going to turn out. Optimism is like, oh, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And no, maybe it's not. Optimism, wishful thinking. I actually had a conversation with a friend of mine this week, and she was like, cross my fingers, hope it's going to be okay. That is wishful thinking. That is not hope or biblical hope. The problem is we have this Greek mindset, and our abstract thinking stays in our heads. And um, so now a lot of us are thinking, oh, I kind of wish or hope that Cyril Ramaphosa is going to, to be a better president, or maybe the American politics will sort themselves out, maybe the left will wake up, or the right will go to sleep, or whatever the case is, like, something is going to change, but it's more like, it's, it's almost speculative desire, and we kind of want to invoke the best possible outcome, right? So, let's cross our fingers and hope for the best, or cross our fingers and hope that the future will be better. That is not biblical hope. All right, so the next one is, so this is the, the blissful alternative to our painful present. We don't want 
to be in pain. We don't want to be uncomfortable. We want to go back to Egypt. And um, this we see in the Israelites quite a bit. Like, I mean, they were so delusional in thinking that going back to Egypt, they were, I mean, the words were, we were sitting by our pots of meat and had bread until we were full. Hello, they were slaves and they worked all day. This is what we do when we like wishful thinking and trying to be optimistic and placing our hope in people and circumstances around us. So the thing is, what is biblical hope? Okay, so Old Testament stuff. You know, guys, I can't resist. I'm very curious. What are the two words that they used for hope? So the first one is yakal, and it means to tarry or wait. Oh, okay, wait. Tarry, that's quite an old-fashioned word. Kava means to wait in anticipation. Kava is an interesting word. So the root word for kava means cord. I've got this really pathetic-looking piece of string. And what it does, babe, can you come here? So it means to bind together and entwine. So kava, and also the thing with kava, or this root word, is that when you put tension on, there's an anticipation that at some point this will break. And then you will find a release. And then... We entwine ourselves on this string. So that's cover. That's hope. Why are you all laughing? <laughs> Pull them over here. So I want you to have this picture, entwining myself on this piece of rope. Okay. Thanks, babe. You can keep my... <laughs> so maybe what we do is, I think it, most people in Johannesburg do this. We're like... I am tired, I am weary, we need to go on holiday for relief, right? Okay. Are we hoping that a change of scenery, a change in job, a change in boss, a change in husband or wife, (laughs) a change in something will bring us a present relief for what we're feeling like in our present circumstances? That is not biblical hope. Think about that cord. <clears throat> What's interesting is I mentioned they talk about, so apparently the Israelites camped in 10 different deserts in their journey. I think it was about 10. Deserts is a wonderful place to be, don't you agree? No. <laughs> we all hate it. It's hot, it's dry, it's uncomfortable, and we don't get what we want. We can't get relief. But actually, if you read the word, God led them into the desert. God led Jesus into the desert, the wilderness. Why? Because in Hebrew, the word desert means a place of speaking. It's also a place of limitation. And um, I'll explain more as, it, as we go on. I just want to read Psalm, a bit of Psalm 62 here. It says, we live our lives like those living in the shadows. This is um, Passion Translation. All of our activities and energies are spent for things that pass away. We gather, we hoard, we cling to things, only to leave them all behind for who knows who. So this is what we do when we aren't rooted or entwined in biblical hope. 
So biblical hope. So what is it? like? And what does it look like for us as believers today? So the prophets of the Old Testament, they used to always, every single time, in, um, in the book of Psalms, it's over 40 times that the word is used for hope. And these are people who are described as who are confidently waiting, hoping for God himself. It's not based on a future outcome, which is interesting, but it's rather based on a present divine strength for now. It's a choice to choose to depend on God because we know he is going to take care of us. So hope is that, remember that picture of us entwining, we entwine ourselves and cling to God himself. If you look up, go, go do yourself a favor if you've got an um, electronic Bible and s- search up the word hope. It's actually overwhelming the amount of scripture that comes up in hope. I was like, I don't know which one to choose because there are so many. But they all have very similar kind of things. So in Isaiah 8, it says, I will wait for the Lord Yahweh who hides his face from the family of Jacob and I will place all my hope in him. In Psalm 62 again. And now, God, I am left with one conclusion. My only hope is to hope in you alone. For God alone has become my savior. He is my safe place. His wraparound presence, again, that cord thing, protects me. For he is my champion defender. So what's interesting is that it is our responsibility to cling to hope. And I had a picture of this massive rope tied to a massive rock. And we, you see, faith is our anchor. Faith is the thing that keeps things in place. Faith is truth. Hope is the attachment from faith to us where we cling in and it keeps us steady. So our responsibility is to hold on to hope. Psalm 37 says, quieten your heart in his presence and pray. Keep hope alive as you long for God to come through for you. And then again, Psalm 62 says, for God alone, I patiently wait. He is the one who delivers me. And then further down, it says, patiently wait for God alone, my soul. So sometimes it's our responsibility to preach to ourselves and say, Patiently wait for God alone. That's what Gary brought through so well last week. He has a very interesting thing. Hope is a pathway. It's a journey. It's a process that we are on. It's not instantaneous. And if you, it's a knowing that at the end of your journey, something's going to exist there that is good. Remember the Israelites, their initial journey was to journey to Mount Sinai to encounter God himself. They missed out. Do you want to miss out because of what you choose? So there's a tension that's created in the cord that we pull onto because hope is in something unseen. So as soon as we have it, we don't need it anymore and there's release, right? 
So we have to create enough tension to pull onto this because the Hebraic understanding is a journey. It's movement. It's not stagnation. It's not for us to stand still. It's for us to journey in the destination as Father God. Now, what keeps us staying on this pathway is based on surety, based on prior performance. So the, what they did was, the prophets, not all of Israel, what they did was they chose always to look back at what God has done for them. That's why I made such almost a comical way about the fact that the Israelites only wrote one song. I mean, that song was amazing. If you go and read the song, it's beautiful. But they never they stopped writing songs about God because they stopped praising him. And that's why they forgot. So in our journey, we always have to remind ourselves, but also remind each other what God has done. Because we forget. And that's why we need hope in, in community. So that we, I mean, I've seen it time and time again. Gary's feeling down. I remind him, babe, look where we've come. I'm feeling down. He reminds me. But also in community, look what God has done. It's the path we travel on. We need to sometimes look back and see what God has done because God's deliverance is the basis of our identity and, the, and hope so we can move forward. So what we do as believers today is we look back at the cross. We always have a very big marker for ourselves, the gospel. And it says, Preach the gospels to yourself. If you're thinking like you haven't moved anyway, go back to the cross. See what Jesus has done for you. Another interesting thing about biblical hope is it's realistic. It doesn't dismiss the present conditions. What's interesting is that it acknowledges the pain and it acknowledges the difficulty. But there's hope in it because the word that they use for um, testing is a word that describes what happens when we make metal more pure. Our present difficulties or our present pain, there's purpose in the pain. So the purpose is when the heat is turned up, the impurities of the metal rise to the surface. That's what we saw with the Israelites. What rose to the surface their distrust in God, their uncertainty. And that's what happens to us. Haven't you ever sometimes thought, whoa, what did that, you know, where did that come from? That's God turning up the heat. Why? Because he wants to get rid of it. He wants to show, because we want to be left with the purity of who Jesus is in us. Our flesh needs to go. Our flesh needs to die. And the only way is through heat, through the desert, and through God turning up the heat in us. Because what happens at the end of it? Something stronger is produced in us. The false me gets whittled away. So that's why the desert is a place of limitation. Because God wants to get rid of the Egypt, the way they used to think. And he wants us to rise up into Jesus. And that's who we are. My last point 
on biblical hope? Is it rooted in waiting? Now this is, I'm like, wait, what? I don't like waiting. Hosea lived in crazy evil times. We think we live in crazy times. Hosea lived through it. But he still chose hope. And it says that he believed that the valley of trouble would turn into the opportunity for hope. So if we can have the perspective, the lens that whatever we're going through, that God will turn into an opportunity for hope. So if that is biblical hope, how does this help us now? And then I actually came up with a problem. So I said to Gary, so all of us know this verse when we can get there. Can you go to the next slide, please? Proverbs, you just press click. 12, 13 verse 12, hey? Click, oh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, my brain is working so well. <clears throat> Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing, go back, but a longing fulfilled is like a tree of life. This is an interesting thing that, a, kind of an issue that I kind of hit. So the, my last point is hope is rooted in waiting. But now this is saying that hope deferred makes the heart sick. So what is with that? So I really had to sit down with God. We had to have a chat because I was like, well, if it's in waiting, why do we get sick? So the meaning of deferred means to put off an event or an action for a later time. And then he showed me the problem with the Israelites was, wasn't the fact that they had to wait. The problem was that in the delay, they viewed God's action or his delay as, them, as God withholding from them. You see, when our doubt is rooted in the belief that God is not good and he's not good towards us, then doubt starts to become a problem. Then our hearts grow sick and we don't get the longings. So this leads me to what erodes our doubt or our hope. Wow. So the meaning of doubt is to be uncertain about something. It's to believe that something may not be true. It's a distrust in the truth. Don't we see that today? There's no confidence or trust in someone or something. And it's a feeling or attitude that one does not know the truth or lack of trustworthiness for someone. So it's interesting that mistrust, skepticism, and uncertainty have things in common. Now, I actually thought that these words were stronger than doubt. So all of them have this like a lack of sureness about someone or something, right? However, doubt suggests something a little bit more. So it doesn't suggest, it does suggest an uncertainty, but it also creates an inability to make a decision. And that's where we have a problem when it comes to our doubt. So the Bible in James, doubt causes what the Bible calls a double-minded person. <clears throat> what does it look like? So it looks like a wavering, a hesitation. We have that saying where somebody feels like they're in two minds. So that word that they use in the Greek actually says it's a, you create a twin of yourself. You create two belief systems. One is 
your spirit man, belief in God, rooted in him. And then when you're in doubt, you create a double of yourself. And this causes an almost a, like a war of belief systems within your, your own self. Has anybody felt like this where you feel like you're wavering? You're like, I see this sometimes in traffic where I'm like, I'm going to go. No, I'm not going to go. I'm going to go. I'm not going to go. You take off and then you end up not going anywhere. And this is what a double-minded person does. You get pulled in two different directions, but you don't end up moving anywhere. See, doubt is not okay when we direct it towards God, specifically in his goodness. It's characterized. Now, Brandon made a, a beautiful comment before, that actually it's okay to question God. So what happened with the Israelites is they cried out to them. They're like, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? And God, the response was actually it's a good and proper response. God doesn't mind our questions. However, when we start and when he got a little, when he responded to them at that, the, the second place of having no water, when we put God to the test, that's when things start going badly for us. That's when now that other belief system, we start entrenching in ourselves. And it becomes now stronger than our spirit man. What's interesting is this creates, the Bible says, a very unstable person. James 1. We've all heard of the James thing, the text. So this says, the ambivalent person, well, that came out wrong. Well, you know what I meant. Believes one minute and doubts the next. Being undecided. So it's not talking about questioning. It's talking about undecided about who God is. Makes you get tossed around a rough sea. One minute you're up, the next minute you're down. And then when you're half-hearted and you're wavering, it leaves you unstable. You have nothing to hold on to because are you going to hold on to the truth of the word of God, of who he says he is, or are you going to hold on to your doubts? I may show a video later called A Shadow of a Doubt. It's a spoken word, and I will put up the link for this. It's quite long. But the guy says right in the middle, in the middle doubt your doubts. Can you really expect to receive anything from God if you're in that condition of unwavering hesitation, where you're half-hearted. We, when we don't expect to receive good from God, will we take it? You see, when your devotion to God is half-hearted, because your loyalties are divided, you become unstable. And that's when your doubt becomes negative. Because then what we do in that place is we direct it towards God. And that is characterized by rebellion and disobedience. So on that happy note, no, I haven't finished, I promise I won't leave you there. The problem with that kind of belief system is equally, both of those belief systems are equally validated. 
but we have to choose. So I want to bring you something happier. So I asked God for a picture of what hope looks like. Because God is like that. He's amazing. He gives. So I don't know if you can see this. I asked Gary. A picture of good waiting is pregnancy. So most moms, I know there are some who are like, I love being pregnant. No. <laughs> I mean, I, I love the concept and you get to fall in love with your child. But is it the most comfortable journey? No. You feel like you've been overtaken by a parasite. You probably have been. Our hoping... See, when we choose to place and entwine ourselves onto God, hope places us in the womb of expectancy. Every mom and dad who are pregnant with their first kid, first of all, even though it's nine months, it feels like forever. I mean, those first three months were the hardest because you have no evidence other than feeling sick that you're pregnant. You place a lot of um, kind of key markers is going to visit the doctor. Is the baby really there? Is the baby okay? Is the baby alive? Then when you're out here like this, you're uncomfortable. Every time the baby grows, I realized, I was like, oh my gosh, what is going on? I mean, Jordan was, he was just a thug. He kicked me and I was uncomfortable. And this is what happens when we place our hope in God and we are living in this expectancy. We are growing, but we are also highly uncomfortable. But the thing is, every parent actually doesn't want the baby to come early. Because it's why? It's not good for the baby. So it's interesting that we want our present circumstances to go away, but actually it may not be good for the baby. We may have to wait a little longer for the baby to get stronger. Then, once the baby is born, who felt like, oh my gosh, what the heck? We wish the baby was back in the stomach. <laughs> that first year of being a parent, so now we have this dream. It's all beautiful. Hey, remember that oh, Gary didn't believe that I was pregnant. So had to go do like several pregnancy tests. And then the baby's growing. And now we get this child. Oh my gosh, it cries. It poops. It doesn't sleep. And it was not downloaded with the manual. And then suddenly the dream that we have in our hands is a little bit uncontrollable and not quite the dream that we thought was because it's, we romanticized it. That's what happens. That's life. And it's okay. We grow. We keep growing. So the lesson here in our hope in the desert is that God is here, sent, sends our limitations, sends circumstances not to test that we are wrong, but to test to prove something in us, that Jesus is in us and to get rid of. It's to train us. I mean, nine months doesn't feel like a lot once the baby's there, right? Then you feel like you're not prepared enough. <laughs> but in the nine months of preparation to become a parent, it feels like too long. You feel like you're ready. Waiting is preparation. So if our response to adversary is to turn towards God, he will turn the bitter into sweet. He will turn the bad into good. And the prospects of death, he will turn into life. 
The thing about freedom that the Israelites probably struggled to realize, with great freedom becomes great responsibility. We all dream of being parents, and then once they're here, I remember driving home from the hospital thinking, oh my gosh, I'm it. Oh wow, the responsibility, that weight, that you're now responsible for this helpless child is huge. That's what the preparation is for. So how are we going to choose to live out our freedom? Are we going to use our fleshly desires or are we going to live off our spirit man? Spiritual disciplines, feeding that part of our souls. Are we going to always desire when things get tough to want to go back to Egypt and fantasize about the meat there? Or are we going to rely and depend on God for the manna and the quill that he provides miraculously? Our challenge, my challenge to us, I'm including myself, is what or who are you going to choose to hook your hope into? Are you going to want to choose to go back to Egypt? Or are you going to continue on the pathway of hope? How's time? Do we have time to play that video? Lee, would you be able to put it up? You let me know when it's up. This is an incredible video. It's seven minutes, but it doesn't feel like seven minutes. And what this guy is a spoken word. I don't often listen to these, but this, I shared it with a home group, arrested me in such a way because this guy paints pictures with his words like I've never seen before. So let's listen to it and allow God to, to challenge you. But also cling, that you can choose to cling to him. I remember my little niece ran up to me and told me, we learned about Jesus today. And I could tell by her smile, she was so excited to learn about this man that she did not quite know yet, but she knew without a doubt for it to be true because after all, mommy said so. And that was the first time in my life that I looked into the eyes of a child and envied them because she had no idea of what it feels like to doubt. What it feels like to have your entire belief system overload with skepticism to never know the day that you would finally be able to live beyond the shadow of a doubt. I've lived in its darkness for so long. It, it seems like I have all the right questions, but never enough answers. And my faith is small enough to fit in the cracks of my palms. God, every night I lay my head down to sleep. The city of my mind is attacked by a legion of questions, threatening the living rooms of my sanity and holding them hostage. Can you help me? Last year, my grandmother laid in a hospital bed like a bus stop waiting for God to come pick her up. I had never seen such pain and such confidence living in the same eyes when she told me, I don't know what I'm going to do. 
but I know who I belong to, and I was so happy for her. And something inside of me wished that somehow before she passed away, she could pass down her confidence in God to me like an old family picture. I remember sitting in the back row of a cold sanctuary, crying because I desperately wanted what the preacher was saying to be true, but my doubts were preaching a sermon of their own and the streams of my tears turned into oceans of frustration. I remember sitting in a college classroom and the only thing being tested is my faith in God. The only thing passing is my hope. Me and a backpack full of fear and nowhere to go. No one to help me unpack. I sleep. I sleep, but I never rest. These lines around my eyes are not wrinkles. They are maps that show you the winding roads that lead to my pain. I'm tired. I'm tired. And I'm longing for the day that I can place my fingers in his nail-pierced hands because honestly, I've considered quitting, but where will I go? Back? There's no home for the living in the land of the dead, so I keep pressing forward. Today I have faith, but I can't make any promises about tomorrow. I'm surprised I've held on this long. God, just make me feel like I'm not crazy. God, let me know that I'm not just making friends with these walls. When I pray, I'm not questioning you. I just got questions. Don't leave me here. Don't, don't leave me. My child, my child, when it seems like you have all the right questions, but never enough answers and your faith is small enough to fit in the cracks of your palms, I told you. Faith the size of mustard seeds can rearrange whole landscapes and turn mountains into open highways. Faith comes by my word, so maybe you've cuffed your ears. My child, don't be childish. But consider the child whose faith has not quite learned the definition of impossible. Have your questions. I'm not telling you to have a blind faith. I'm telling you to consider the blind men who had faith and believed my words before they were even able to see me. Consider the birds that eat from my hand and do not fall from the sky without my consent. So how much more will I love the ones that I died for? Before you doubt me, doubt your doubts. Doubt your doubts, and you will see they are just as empty as the tomb that I walked from. Truth is, truth is, you know I'm here. You know my truth, and you're scared. Scared of what that means. Scared of what that should cost you. 
that one day they will all laugh at you, laugh you right out of their classrooms and scorn you out of their courtrooms. But my love serves as an eviction notice to anxiety. When they cast stones, my love cast out fear. I am the author and finisher of your faith. I've never started a work that I will not finish. I am the one. I am the one who will give you courage to stand death in the face and say, how dare you try to scare me? I know who I belong to. And when it feels like you are drowning, when it feels like you are drowning in a sea of your questions, just know I'm there. I'm there. Like when I drowned in the Red Sea of my blood for you and these hands that took holes will hold you. And when I told you that I would love you forever, I meant it. Don't you see these rings in my hands? See, we are married. For better or for worse. Through sickness and in health, through faith and through questions, till death brings us closer, you are mine. You're mine, and I am yours, I promise. What's that? I don't know about you, I've actually watched this thing like five times already, and somehow the big screen does something more than a little iPhone. And I, and I, I do think that, I think there's people here, there's people on the broadcast I, I loved a lot of what that guy said that speaks into what Louis said. And the fact is, is that we lose hope because our hope is not placed in God. It's placed in the circumstances or it's placed in our gifting or it's placed in a person or whatever it might be. But God's calling us over the season to place our hope in Him no matter what the landscape looks like. And you love that, that the, 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 the lines in my hand can fit the seeds of a mustard seed that can change a landscape. What has God put in your hand? What has God promised and if we lean into that and if we focus on that and in the waiting, in the waiting we don't sit back and become lethargic and lose hope in God. I love the fact that he says, Jesus says, look at my hands and the rings in my hands, I am married to you. The ultimate covenant between the Father and the Son that places us in the most secure place that anybody can be in. Because not even death can take that away. And so, Father, we, we come right now, and I don't know why, Lord, but there's something that's just rising inside of my heart and in my body right now. And the emotion is rising because, God, so often I put my hope in my own talents and gifting, my, my own uh, ability to get through stuff. So often I put my hope in what others are going to do. But God, may it be a reminder of this morning that we hope in you. That we are, our, our souls become discouraged and disquietened within us. This morning you are saying to us to look up to the one and true God. The tower of strength. The one that we can run to. The one that we can hide in. Because your whole show us that the covenant that you made is unbreakable. Because it was in your blood. And so Jesus right now received this offering. This amazing hope-filled offering that we can give with everything we can muster this morning as we worship you to end off this morning. But may it not end now. But may Holy Spirit you be the after speaker throughout this week and throughout the months to come. 
that we would be the catalysts of hope and the hope carriers to the byways and highways of our lives, that we would not be the same because our God, our God is displayed in the past that He can be relied on because no matter what's going on around us, it's not because He doesn't love us because He's already demonstrated this. So Jesus, receive. Let's worship.